This is Radio Maria, and welcome to Pro Parent with Chiro Candia. Hello and welcome to Pro Parent, the program that promotes confident parenting with me, Chiro Candia. My mission to provide parents with the tools and encouragement to become the best mothers and fathers God is calling them to be, fostering homes where children grow in character and virtue. Now some accumulated wisdom of parenting folklore. There's a saying that from birth to age six we teach our children, from six to twelve we guide them, and from twelve to eighteen, well, we just pray for them. <laughs> and when it comes to praying for our children, I would suggest that perhaps our most heartfelt prayer should be for them to become principled and virtuous individuals who freely and truly seek sanctity and eternal life at all costs. Well, as you may be aware, in previous episodes I've been exploring different parenting styles, sharing some of my experiences and observations. And what I can say after observing thousands of parents over many years is that for me, authoritative parenting is the most effective approach for raising virtuous children. This is at least what I've concluded, because this method, in my view, closely resembles divine parenthood, the way that God acts as a father to us. In fact, while preparing these episodes, I realise that I have so much to share about authoritative parenting that I'm going to take a few more podcasts, if that's okay, to cover it all. So please stay with me in the next few episodes to get that bigger picture. However, today I am going to make a start. So, you may recall from last week that I suggested authoritative parents share three essential characteristics with the fatherhood of God. That unconditional love, that desire to guide and to teach, and also to impart those critical thinking skills to become independent thinkers, to freely choose the good. And authoritative parents, like God, set and enforce high standards, not just for purposes of correction, but for the best interests, not only of the individual, but for the entire family. And so the goal of authoritative parents is not like that of authoritarian parents, of just simply wanting to control their children. No, it's about leading children towards higher goods and not about satisfying a parent's ego. So what does authoritative parenting look like in practice? Well, I'm going to go through some of the elements in these podcasts, but what I want to do is to take a concrete example, and I'm going to use the scenario of mealtimes. Now, for many people, mealtimes looks very different to the way it used to be in the past. Many families nowadays eat together, perhaps, but in front of the television screen, or perhaps mum and dad are eating aside from the children. The children may be eating in their own rooms, on their own. This is the norm, sadly. But authoritative parents understand the importance of family meals, in building a strong family culture. And I've seen firsthand the significant value of families eating together, obviously from my own personal experience, but also as a former head. And I recall a study that was done a while ago, 
which suggested that regular family meals are a common trait in families whose children do well at school. I'm not talking here about children who necessarily get straight A's, but children who fulfil their potential. And this study backs up my own anecdotal experience as a head. Dinner times. And here I'm talking about that meal in the evening. You know, at least in my household, breakfast was like King's Cross Station. It was almost impossible to tie everyone down. And clearly lunchtime, well, most of us will be at work or in school, so it's difficult to come together. So here I'm talking about the regular evening meal. And there are a few rules of the table that I believe good authoritative parents try to implement and which I'd like to propose and share with you. And the first one is to ban all technology from the table. No one is allowed to bring their phones onto the table to be staring at screens while we're having dinner together. The second rule, which I think parents sometimes really struggle with, is to say that no one leaves the table until everyone has finished eating. This is a really tough one. Sometimes we want one or two of the older ones to finish early so they can leave and give us a a bit of breathing space, (laughs) an opportunity to catch our breath. But we should try to avoid this temptation. And I know that it might be tough for the 12-year-old waiting on a slower three-year-old to finish their meal, but it does help prevent this kind of eat-and-run habit, which is so common, especially in older children. And if they do wait until the very end of the meal and are dismissed when everybody's finished, I think it's better for their digestive system because the older ones are not going to rush or wolf down their food. (laughs) Another rule of the table, which... I'd like to suggest to you is to encourage good conversations and to prepare topics for those mealtimes in advance. You'll see that it really pays off over time. I may have mentioned this before, but in our household, having seven children, we allocated a day of the week to each one. And on their day, they had a number of duties. And one of them was to lead grace before meals, to lead the rosary, and also to prepare a conversation for the evening meal and I remember on many occasions asking them beforehand if they had prepared something to say and they would kind of shrug their shoulders and say no (laughs) and so I'd spend a few moments just before dinner helping them to think about what they were going to say and it was a wonderful opportunity for the younger ones to and the older ones to share some interest hobbies for everybody to listen and to engage and to ask questions and to show that that curiosity. But then I would also bring in topics of my own from time to time, maybe an area of interest or a new story. And this was an opportunity for the children to engage and to develop their problem-solving, critical thinking skills. I could say so much about conversation at mealtimes, but to sum up, for authoritative parents, this is the best way for instilling and developing a strong family culture. And how do authoritative parents manage discipline? Well, firstly, I think they recognise that it has a vital role to play and they don't shy away from implementing discipline. As I said before, they keep their children's long-term best interests very much in mind. 
These parents understand that developing virtue involves self-mastery, that ability to say no to oneself, the ability to say no to immediate desires in order to say yes to greater, more noble goods. And so in this context, authoritative parents don't see discipline as a punishment or trying to impose their will, but rather it's about setting clear expectations that will guide their children towards loftier goals. I sometimes encourage parents to think of discipline as the banks of a river guiding its flow towards the sea. Without these banks, the river's waters would simply just flood the plains aimlessly. They would go nowhere. Similarly, discipline provides the necessary structure and direction, like the banks of the river, to help channel the child's development channeling those behaviours and desires, their will, their intellect, their conscience towards higher, more noble goals. Some of you may have heard of Catherine Burblesing, who was once voted Head Teacher of the Year, and she pointed out in an article a few years ago that many parents shy away from their responsibility to discipline their children as a result of fear. And I think she's right. Many parents do step away from this responsibility. Why? Because they're fearful that the schools will be on their backs, society in general, perhaps that internal fear, the fear that if they do discipline their children, their children are going to remove their love from them. I talked a little bit about this when referring to permissive parents a few episodes ago. Sadly, in my view, modern parenting ideas have often weakened a proper understanding of discipline and authority, words which today are often seen in negative light, with many experts telling parents to go for win-win strategies. And I think sometimes these unintentionally weaken a parent's authority. And we're seeing a, a shift from perhaps traditional methods like withholding privileges to newer techniques, more enlightened techniques like sticker charts or some of the gentle parenting techniques I spoke about in the episode last week. And look, there's certainly a place for sticker charts in managing lower level behaviours, but I'm not sure these are effective in all situations, and I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. So I believe that some of these enlightened methods sometimes make it harder to develop homes which are focused on virtue. Let's be clear, for the authoritative parent, true discipline is always delivered with love. It's motivated by love. It's enveloped, wrapped up in love. And this approach aims not just to correct behaviour, but to guide, as I said before, children towards making better choices, embracing higher values. And what does it look like in practice, this discipline for the authoritative parent? Well, as I said, Discipline, wrapped up in love, are inseparable concepts, but I'm going to deal with the wrapped up in love bit a little bit later, and most certainly in the next podcast. But for now, I want to focus on our understanding of discipline. And discipline basically involves setting clear limits and expectations accompanied by consequences. It's about teaching a child that if they choose action A, consequence B will follow. And sometimes this consequence will be delivered by life and other occasions it will be a result of parental intervention. Nagging, 
threatening, yelling at children for misbehaving. This is not discipline, in my view. This is just nagging, threatening and yelling. It's the kind of action that only leads to frustration. Rather, effective discipline, in my view, is about taking decisive, positive action in response to specific misbehaviours. So, for example, warning little Johnny to stop annoying his brother 16 times in increasing decibels, well, that's not discipline, that's just talk. True discipline might involve removing privileges to address little Johnny's behaviour. And authoritative parents come to realise that effective discipline leads to less need for discipline. Once these parents establish a positive direction with regards to discipline, authoritative parents find less need to constantly correct in this way. Consider previous generations of parents who often mastered the look. This was a non-verbal cue of authority that often precluded the need for further action. My dad, who was five foot nothing, I towered over him from the age of 11, was somebody who had the look and he didn't smack me. I never feared him. As I say, I was much bigger than he was by the time I got to secondary school. Nevertheless, when he gave me the look, I never ignored it and fell back into line. Why? What was it about that look? Well, I knew that if I didn't fall into line, <laughs> Um, it would lead to unpleasant consequences. My dad was the kind of person who, when he said he would do something, he meant it. Children who believe that their parents will act resolutely are less likely to test the boundaries. And as a result, parents' authority doesn't necessarily need to be constantly reinforced because it's understood and respected. So good discipline doesn't need to be loud. It doesn't involve shouting or excessive talking. And as we conclude today's show, three basic ideas to sum up everything that I've said. One, embrace the principle of doing more and talking less when it comes to discipline. Number two, ensure your words carry weight. That what you say, what you mean, you're prepared to act on it. You're consistent. And number three, remain calm. So consistency, calm, consequences. A little anecdote from a few years ago. I remember when the children were in their primary school years, coming home on one occasion and seeing the house in a bit of a mess. So I got them all together and said, well, I'm going to come round in half an hour with a black sack and everything is going to go into it. So you have 30 minutes to put everything away in its right place. They all laughed because they thought I was joking. But 30 minutes later, I went round and I picked everything up on the floor. Toys, homework, bits of uniform. They then followed me downstairs to the utility room where I tied a knot in the sack and basically told them that they would have to wait a week for the contents to be returned. I remember that week that a few of them got into trouble at school for not having the correct uniform or failing to do their homework. But that was a consequence, I told them. Then, seven days later, I took the black sack from the shelf in the utility room and poured all the contents onto the carpet. And there was this mad scramble for their belongings. Well, <laughs> a few weeks after that, I remember coming home and things again were beginning to become untidy. 
So I said to them that I was going to bring out the black sack in 30 minutes, unless they were able to put everything away. You can imagine, before I'd even finished the words black sack, they picked everything up off the floor and started putting all in its right place. So calm, consistency, consequences. These are the principles I believe authoritative parents try to follow. They try to act early in the misconduct chain, not waiting for tensions to escalate and to address issues as soon as they arise rather than letting them fester. They're consistent in their approach and they ensure that there are clear consequences for actions. So lots more to say about authoritative parenting in the next episode, or possibly two. But for now, that's all from me, Chiro Kandia, on today's episode of Pro Parent, the programme that promotes confident parenting. Tune in same time next week. Goodbye.